Welcome to the Actionable Futurist podcast, a show all about the near-term future with practical and actionable advice from a range of global experts to help you stay ahead of the curve. Every episode answers the question, what's the future of? With voices and opinions that need to be heard. Your host is international keynote speaker and actionable futurist, Andrew Grill. Today's guest is John Phillips, Senior Vice President of SVP Sales and General Manager EMEA at Zora. John has over 25 years of experience in sales, leadership, and general management of businesses across SaaS, enterprise, and open source models. Prior to joining the team, John held sales positions at Oracle, EMX, and OpenText, working both in the UK and the US. Zora has helped businesses in all industries transition to subscription models, working with businesses from The Guardian to Schneider Electric. Welcome, John. Great to be here. I've been guilty of quoting the phrase, the subscription economy, many, many times over the last few years without really knowing who coined it. But in researching for this podcast, I realized the origins are actually with Zora. For our listeners, can you explain what is a subscription economy and how the phrase came about? So it was actually, I think, our CEO that uh, that actually coined the phrase, and I think it was picked up. Um, I mean, so Teen Zoo, our CEO, uh, started a company about 15 years ago. He actually came from Salesforce. Um, and he was one of the original uh, members of, of, of Salesforce. And, you know, Salesforce back in 1999, you know, were literally the first to, to launch uh, effectively a SaaS service. So very quickly, he saw that uh, there was an opportunity to create these digital services, really change the software world uh, once and for all. But what they found was that uh, the, the financial models for selling on-premise software uh, didn't suit the the, the purposes of, of of these digital services. So that was really the start for him. But then he saw it in his personal life, right? So then we all started having things like Spotify and Netflix. And we realized that we were kind of subscribing to things, really valuing the service more than the actual underlying product. Uh, and we've seen this this change, you know, kind of ripple right through our lives. So I think that's what basically formed uh, the basis of his his hypothesis is that we would uh, maybe give up a little bit on ownership and and move more towards usership. And and really, the term subscription economy encapsulated all of that. I have to say, some days I think people misunderstand the term because of the word subscription. They think it's just you know nine ninety nine a month, and it is obviously one of the most dominant forms of of recurring revenue models. But I have to say it's it's only one. And in fact, the most of the models that we see today are so much more sophisticated than than that. So that's how it all came about. And obviously it's as you as you've said, you've you've said it many times, it's a thriving uh industry and uh it's a very exciting place to be right now. We might unpack the different models a, a bit later on, but what services does Zora offer and where do you fit in the subscription ecosystem? So we offer what we call quote to revenue. So it really is the complete business process that you have to be able to to execute in order to enter into this world of recurring uh, recurring revenue. So we have a product that does the billing part. We have a product that does the revenue automation. Sounds boring, but revenue automation is incredibly important when you get complex recurring contracts. Uh, we do everything from collections of cash. At the end of the day, you still have to get money from people. Um, and we provide a platform that it all sits on that allows you to extend Zora into the ecosystem. And that's a very important point because it doesn't replace. It doesn't replace a CRM system. You still need your customers being managed. It doesn't replace your financial systems. Your ledgers still have to be there, taxation systems. So Zora really orchestrates these complex and dynamic processes uh, that gives 
really what is really at the heart of giving the agility to to the product managers to build sophisticated, sensitive systems and services that listen to the customer's needs. If you do that properly, you will have a need to orchestrate between all those other systems. And that's what Zora does. It literally just drops in the middle of that world and takes care of that orchestration. Now, you live in the middle of this subscription world. So do you remember the very first thing that you subscribed to? It's a long time ago. I would suspect that it was something like Spotify. I was a very early user, big into my music. Probably started with Napster and things like that, if people remember that. I think Spotify came along fairly quickly. And and actually, it's a very, very good example of what we now see in terms of creating uh, tiers of service that encourage people to move up. Because I had a free service for uh, probably about eight years. What actually triggered my transition to a paid service was when I re- uh, redeveloped my house, put in Sonos. And if you wanted to play Spotify on Sonos, you needed to have a premium premium account. And then, of course, I upgraded to family because then my kids grew up and uh, we needed to support them. So it really is a great, great historical journey through the subscription. If you want to describe the subscription economy, that's a that's a key uh, example of it. And uh, now I treat it like a utility. Yeah, I would never turn it off. I don't even think about it. Well, I remember Spotify as well. I think I had a beta account. I was one of the first people in the UK to use it for free. But my story about upgrading is a bit different. I'd actually forgotten that I hadn't set up an auto recurring debit. And one day I was on the street and it went from listening to my favorite music to three ads in a row. And I thought, I got really angry. I think I yelled an expletive and said, what's going on? Oh, I need to subscribe (laughs) because I've got to pay to remove ads. And I think again with Netflix, I subscribe because of the crown. But I probably can go back even a bit further. When I was playing with application service provider models or ASP models back in the year 2000 with Microsoft and Telstra in Australia, I feel like a bit of a pioneer. We'd actually planned to use Citrix to deliver online versions of Microsoft Office and rent the software, which you'd now call Office 365. So, uh, you know, I feel like I've been doing this for a while without knowing what it was. But how has the subscription industry changed since those early ASP type models? If you think about what you were doing there, you were taking a traditional on-premise application, not to be discourteous to it, but putting it on and hosting it, right? And and it was a fantastic, by the way, fantastic moment in our history of technology because it, it brought so many, many benefits. But if you truly look at what goes on today in SaaS, uh, it's a whole different ballgame because actually when when the SaaS providers like Salesforce started building these products, the, the real important thing that changed was they could start to see how their customers were using the software. And they started to learn very quickly that they didn't want to just run reports or, or, or create contracts. What they truly wanted was to collaborate. They wanted to share information. They wanted to know what was going on in their in their users. So, Salesforce and companies like that in those early early years of SaaS started to realize they had this incredible power to iterate on the software. They actually knew how their customers should be using that software better than than they were, and they were able to communicate through that through this through this digital platform. If you compare those two worlds, that is actually quite different. And I think that is the truth of why SaaS uh, dominated and, and, and beat, beat the on-premise model. It was the ability to actually give the customer what they, what they really wanted. Um, and you started to see that in worlds beyond SaaS. Imagine being you know, the Electrolux engineer who's building a washing machine, and he can tell that you're putting too much detergent into it. So you know, I'm sure we'll get on to the powers of, of, of things like connected devices. But that is really what the SaaS world showed us 
was what the rest of the physical world world could actually become once you create these direct digital relationships. And, and, and Salesforce, I suppose, created one of the first in that domain. And the great thing about SaaS, as you know, is that if you have a great idea, you can see through customer usage, you should change a feature or a product, you push that out and uh, unless it breaks, no one really knows and all of a sudden you've got a great new feature. So rather than on-prem, you've got to go and you know load everything up and, and make sure you're not going to break anything. I, I think it's a, it's a great model. But delving into your solution, how have customers built adaptive subscription models using your platform? It's a key part of the value that we bring to our customers. The whole point of these platforms is, as you say, they learn, they evolve, they evolve uh, organically. I mean, let's take a, well, you know, one of our biggest set of customers comes in the in the in the media space. Uh, some of the newspaper companies that are around about 2012, 13, 14, started moving to 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 paywalls, and you know, examples such as the Guardian, the Telegraph, the FT. What they were able to do was actually put out offers relatively quickly and relatively uh, in a numerous form and actually allow the system to tell them which model actually customers were taking up, right? And which ones actually resonated with, uh, with, with their buying patterns versus, you know, we saw companies that would spend two years trying to analyze this, bring in digital agencies and try to do all of this analysis and then put something out only to find it didn't actually hit the spot. So the, these systems truly do adapt uh, by simply looking at uh, well, two things you need. Number one, you've got to have a very agile platform that allows you to change offers in the matter of minutes and hours, not weeks or months. And that was the case for the FT. I mean, they they originally had a system that would take, you know, they were the offers were effectively hard coded. So it could, it could take months with an IT department to, to change. With Zora, you change that in minutes. Um, and then you have to be able to see the financial consequences of your work and see how the subscriptions are being used, see what kind of revenue you're getting back from them. And, and with our real-time capabilities in Zora, it literally tells you how you would then subsequently change those offers. So it's it's occurring in other industries, but you won't find a better example of the very fast-moving world of, of the, the newspaper business. It's a great example. I'm just thinking aloud, will we ever get to the stage where we'll have almost unlimited subscription models? So my my relationship with The Guardian will be different to yours because of my usage patterns. I used to work in telco, as I alluded to with Telstra, and I've always wondered about the sliders. I want this much data. I want this much of that. Is your system able to do that? Or will we get to a point where you can almost have one-to-one tailored offers that are completely tailored to what you want, and the back end then takes care of all the billing and all the delivery of the products? And that's exactly why we exist, because one of the issues that we have in the market today is, is that the let's call it the initial attempts to put these subscription services in place are, are in many cases quite simple, quite basic. And to be honest, you know, there might only be a few flavors, a few colors of the service that you can get. But but the what's holding customers back are, are, are the challenges of handling all of the modifications, the constant set of modifications across millions of customers, if you created that flexibility for everybody to create that. And that's why I say is what Zora does is effectively orchestrate, not automate. If you automate, you're trying to find maybe five patterns and hard code them very efficiently to handle those five patterns at scale. But that's not what these companies need. These companies need effectively an infinite number of use cases and patterns that need 
to when they were instigated, you need to just explain and inform and connect to a whole host of different systems to allow that to happen. Uh, and, and literally, that's why Zora has invested so much in creating something that uh, has strong integration to all of the backend systems that allow you to, to, to perform that. So yes, I think, I think increasingly, you will have highly customized offerings. You're seeing it in some industries, uh, less so in others. But it's it's obviously the holy grail that you will get ultimately the, the truly personalized service. Subscription models have been in the news a lot lately. I want to touch on the whole Netflix issue. How can ads and subscriptions coexist? I think it depends what you think of a of as an advertisement. Uh, if if it's informative, you know, if it's personalized to 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 me, and it's actually enhancing the service, the the, the relationship that I have with this company that I've subscribed to. You've got to remember when I subscribe, you think of your best subscriptions. There is a there's a true sense of loyalty between you and that that provider. There's a sense of trust when you provide your credit card details to Amazon. There is a sense of trust there that that uh, that you value and they value. So I think you know if they are communicating to me with the right information, it could look like an advertisement. But in fact, what it's truly doing is adding intelligence to the way I interact and I, I perform my my life. If I'm watching a Netflix movie that is uh, I don't know if it's uh, Mission Impossible, and then they tell me about the fact that Top Gun is on in the cinema and and, and, uh, Picture House encourages me to go and see it. I don't think that's detrimental. I think that's incremental to to my life. So I think there's definitely an opportunity to do that. It's not unlike the freemium model. As we explained with Spotify, you can have it for free and it's supported by ads. And if you want to remove the ads, there's a charge. And and I think you and I both realized the value exchange was there. We've just come through two years that were very challenging for all businesses and all business models. How resilient was the subscription economy during COVID? It was a, a real eye-opener, just how incredible, unfortunately. you know, It was a bad time for all of us. I don't think we would ever want to go through that. But what you have to, have to ad- ad- admit is that it, it accelerated digitization of our businesses. It, it created a, a world that we didn't expect and or certainly not as fast as, as it came through. So you found that our customers' customers needed to digitize. So those companies that were providing software and digital tools did incredibly well through through the through through the lockdown and through the pandemic and and still are, you know, have have really accelerated their business. So we service them, we help to monetize their digital services. If you take somebody like Zoom. Of course, did did it did had a huge growth uh, over this period, so definitely no doubt those digital services. But even some of the other our other customers who um, had the ability to turn on a dime and change their service quite dramatically to to meet the changing demand. If we have we have customers who provide uh, loyalty services, so provide you coupons to uh, originally to restaurants and to to cinemas. Well, of course. Lockdown came and they needed to change that. And they changed very quickly to providing coupons to access free movies, streamed movies, uh, delivery services. So the ability to do that. So if you you were a a subscription business, firstly, you had the ability to make that change relatively quickly. The second thing is, as again, I mentioned the word loyalty. There was a a clear example of how people's uh, ability to go out and do ad hoc purchases diminished. Naturally, you weren't going out into the shops. You weren't making these one-off purchases. But your but but your your subscription services, you actually stayed pretty loyal to, and we have the data to show that, right? So actually, 
uh, arguably it was one of the best examples of of how to build a resilient service. And and you know we have potentially some you know some rough a rough period to get through right now with a potential recession and you know all these all these clouds on on the horizon. And once again, I think those subscription businesses, those businesses that have built relationships, built recurring revenue models, will will do incredibly well through, relatively speaking, through through this period. I like the link between loyalty and subscription. I think it's so right that, uh, as you say, for example, I subscribe to the FT, and uh, every year when they ask me for some more money, uh, I'm happy to subscribe again because I can see the value. I've even seen Costa Coffee in the UK start a coffee subscription. Um, so what other products and services do you think we're lucky to rent and subscribe to in the future? We're lucky enough to get to see some incredible in- and innovative stories. The one that I think is most powerful, though, is the whole area of mobility. Um, if if you think about car ownership, I always felt that this would be the one that would be the hardest to crack because people love – we've grown up loving uh, our vehicles, right? We're passionate about, you know – the the petrol engine and the smell of the gun. Of course, that's all starting to change with electric vehicles and soon autonomous vehicles. Uh, we we started getting Uber. We, you know, we started having this concept of: Do I want to drive myself, or shall I be driven? And so, I think this is the one area that will be the most substantial in terms of its impact on our lives, and the most uh, incredible in many ways. That uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to buy. I actually subscribe to a Volvo. Um, and I bought, I think that will be, I bought one more car, which is to teach my kids to drive. And that will be it. I will never buy another car, uh, because I just, I just feel like the service, the service, uh, version of that, that business model is, is, is far superior. You're essentially subscribing to a facility. So it doesn't matter what model of Volvo you have. Does that model allow you to upgrade? So they're always giving you the choice that you can have the latest and greatest model. And if that's right, I think that's incredibly um, innovative because think of the logistics behind that and taking the car back off you and repurposing and everything else. So maybe you're not subscribing to a car, you're subscribing to a transport service. And you need to look beyond just the automotive manufacturer for this, because we actually work with uh, not just the automotive manufacturers, uh, such as Ford and, and GM, but we actually work in Toyota. But we actually work with uh, increasingly with companies that rent cars, that today have a rental model, and they are looking to change and, and see how they can you know, change into that model. So what you see is, so the answer to your question is, yes, uh, I, can, I can give three months notice give the car back, take out another car. The service that I quite, I'm very intrigued about, and these are being rolled out, you see, you'll get, these services are available today, is, is from companies uh, you know, like some of the rental companies, uh, like Sixth, who actually offer you a service where you can actually take a different car for the weekend. Say you need to take your kids to university, you've got a, you, need, you, need the, you need the estate car. The following weekend, you and your wife are going out to a, to a hotel for the weekend. You get the sports car with a, with a drop-down roof. That's, that, for me, is high value, right? If I have a service that gives me the right vehicle at the right time, uh, I'm willing to, to, to subscribe to that because the actual ownership of a car – I mean, I have a car that can sit on the drive for 80% of its life. Uh, and do nothing, right? And if you think of all the other ancillary services surrounding that, like insurance, I insure a car 
when I'm only driving it, you know, 20% of the actual time. So I think mobility generally and beyond cars, I mean, mobility as in terms of the smart city, how, how everything change, you know, how everything is integrated from the use of a train to a scooter to, to a the tube i mean the, these this is this is truly mobility as a service and, and i think that's the exciting i think that will be truly revolutionary for us so i'm wondering if the model can work on humans can you subscribe to me and have me perform work in the subscription gig economy i definitely think that and we've seen this again i think the pandemic showed us that with with people working from home to the level that they were that there was a huge opportunity to provide services that access elements of our community that maybe are underutilized dare i say undervalued people who have for various reasons different stages of their life not in a position to do a traditional you know five day a week job uh work in the in in, in a particular location uh so i think there is now i think what's actually happened is there are, and we see this, a number of companies, very uh, innovative companies that are looking at how you leverage the entirety of the potential workforce uh, and, and provide that through marketplaces and uh, combi- you know, combined services to, to, to deliver uh, really good value uh, output to, to, to businesses that uh, c- can leverage that on a, on a demand basis. So uh, I'm not sure if it's, uh, I'm not sure if you can have a personal, you know, I don't know if that really is is something that would immediately happen, but I definitely feel, you know, we're 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 getting to 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 learn a lot from the lockdown and from the pandemic. I've had previous guests on the show that that run these marketplaces. You mentioned one was CoMatch the other week, where they actually have a whole lot of highly skilled workers. And I was being a bit facetious, but I'm just wondering, as a futurist, whether you get to that point. You alluded before that the subscription model economy isn't just about the subscription model. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes behind that, the financial aspects as well. So how important is embedded finance when setting up a subscription business? And maybe you could explain what embedded finance is for some of our listeners who are not in the fintech space. The best subscriptions, if you think of the best services that you subscribe to, they are flexible. They are open to your changing needs. And that could include upgrading, downgrading. I mean, you know, uh, there's no reason why you can't go from the family Spotify to, you know, my, my kids will go off to college one day and maybe I'll downgrade, right? Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll want to do it when I need to do it. Uh, so these changes create a, a really a, a, a set of modifications to a recurring revenue contract. You know, this is not the world... Of the of the finance systems of of the of the last 20, 30 years, those systems were there to to record a finite transaction. That's what those systems like. They didn't like things that lasted, you know, uh, a long period. But in our world, we are dealing with a recurring, evergreen contract. And really, ideally, you want the customer to be for life. But you need to give them the ability for that contract to change in value, uh, change how they pay, change their payment method, change the payment frequency. So the finance systems in this world have to be able to uh, make instant modifications, uh, adjust the values of the contract, change the revenue position. I mean, this is a key part is that a company's revenue is constantly changing. And to even determine what your revenue position is when you have millions of customers' contracts changing so substantially is is, uh, uh, quite a challenge. That's what we've built is a system that just instantly and in real time changes, constantly modifying, understanding the, the value of these, these, these businesses, triggering the right systems to take payment, change payment, change the payment date, 
if you've you mentioned about um, uh, when you know when 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 your payment didn't go through, you know there are facilities to help companies now get those payments to go through effectively. So there's lots of things that finance. It's it's this really is a finance system behind the scenes that is ensuring that a recurring revenue business is resilient and agile. If you don't have that, you don't give that flexibility to your end customer. So, so your marketeers, your product managers have to create that, you know, as, as, as they did with the Model T Ford, you can have any color as long as it's black. And, and that's what you end up giving to your, to your customer without this. So is it fair to say that financial service offerings need to change to support subscription-based products? The financial services industry, you know, is starting to understand the true power of this. Um, and it, it's in many areas. And we are working with uh, a, a number of banks at the moment, retail banks, investment banking. It's right across the whole banking spectrum. But one I'll mention, which I find incredibly interesting, is, is that um, when you think about uh, areas that we've walked into around large manufacturing companies, retail subscriptions, <clears throat> what, what underpins those businesses, to be honest, is phys- big, expensive, physical product. Uh, if you're a manufacturer of a combine harvester or a tractor, these are you know a combine harvester. A combine harvester is a quarter of a million pounds, right? So when you start to look at these these businesses, these businesses were previously leasing businesses, right? So these are the parts of the bank that did leasing and financing. And what we realized as we started to get deeper and deeper into these these subscribers, these types of subscription businesses, was that financing was incredibly important because at the end of the day. If I gave you if I give you a product to use and you pay me either a fixed amount per month or even as you use it and based on your usage of that product, at the end of the day, I have bought the tractor or the combine harvester a quarter of a million and I'm just financing it for you. I am effectively a bank. I'm lending you the money. So we have found many companies that see the opportunity to do subscription around a physical product but actually have found themselves being caught out on the financing side. Well, hello, banks, right? This is what they do. They do this incredibly well. I actually believe the banks and particularly the financing leasing elements of both the banks, even of the automotive companies, you know, our, our relationship with Toyota is actually with Toyota Financial Services because Toyota Financial Services has one very major advantage over every other part of the business, which is it has a monthly relationship already with the majority of Toyota drivers. Most cars, most Toyotas are leased in some shape, way, or form. And so when Toyota wanted to build this this new relationship with its drivers, it realized that it didn't have it via the, the via itself as a manufacturer because they went through dealers. But the one part of their business that had the relationship was the financing part. And so that's why financing, leasing is such an interesting interesting part of the, the this, this evolution of the subscription economy and why I believe financing companies, banks, and other associated businesses in that domain will have a huge part to play uh, in the evolution of, of, of this particular economy. So your platform supports both subscriptions and helps drive consumption. So what are the components of a sustainable subscription model? Consumption is important. I think this is uh, inevitably a part of uh, the value that these types of services offer. If I want to pay for what I use, ultimately, uh, there is, of course, uh, a requirement then to actually measure that use. This is where 
things like the connect the world of IoT and connected devices really have changed the world the, 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 of, of, of the subscription economy. Because of course, if I can now put a device, one of our biggest customers, Caterpillar, can actually measure the amount of earth that you move. And the ability to charge uh, that particular uh, their particular customers uh, in that way can offer huge advantages. And then you start to understand that if you can do that, then you can start to uh, move into another economy called the sharing economy. And then you're really into a whole world of sustainability uh, at an environmental level, because then you're not mass producing as many things. What you're really doing is is producing the minimum requirement, but still extracting the revenues you were getting, but just through a more effective, a more effective manner. So we are seeing that in a, a lot of different industries. We're seeing it in manufacturing, but we see it in smart cities, smart buildings, um, smart homes. You know, this is uh, the the ability to know how you're using the product gives us all a, a huge. Uh, platform and an advantage going forward, particularly into a world where, you know, we're probably over consuming at this point. Um, and uh, that has the environmental and sustainability issues that we all can see. Now, innovation is something that's close to my heart. Any company that's going to grow has to innovate. So how do you innovate at Zora? We're in a, a continual cycle of innovation. You know, we're a Silicon Valley software company. You can imagine that uh, this never stops. I mean, today we're focusing on really completing this end-to-end business flow. Um, you know, it really is, feels to me north, south, east, and west. You could, we look, we're looking at all the peripheries uh, of these problems. For instance, at the moment, you know, we're, we're about to launch a product that really looks at process uh, automation, process uh, enhancement. Um, and optimization. So looking at, you can imagine that when you start to create this orchestration of all of these these steps, you will find inevitably that you create inefficiencies in that model. So uh, everything from that all the way at the beginning to how customers are taken from the freemium model into a paid model, techniques for doing that, looking at the end of the process, how do I uh, provide instant and real-time revenue recognition for the CFO? which we now provide uh, straight out of Zora. So we are looking at the entirety of the business model, uh, for one. Um, and you know we're, we're making sure that we are capable of, of supporting this hybrid world, world of physical and digital. And it's a really interesting world when you, when you start to bring those two. You have to unify much of the, certainly the commercial models that, uh, uh, that exist. So for instance, with one of those banks that is doing uh, uh, leasing services around things like, uh, like tractors and um, uh, combine harvesters, you know, the, 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 the invoice that goes out has to have both the leasing element of it, but all of the additional digital services uh, that, 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 that user directly consumes. So that's a real unification of, of, of actually two very different financial models that have been associated with that uh, or, or, or that customer is associating to. Is there a business model that won't work with subscriptions? Would you say? If there is, I, I haven't found one. Um, I I'll give you you know I'll give you an example. I have a I have a customer who sells fertilizer. I have a customer who sells pharmaceutical drugs. I have a customer who sells guitars. And each one of those three, every one of those three, have a very successful digital service as an adjunct, as an ancillary service around those products. I would never put those three on a list of my, you know, go-to target market uh, subscription businesses. But when you see that, 
you know, when you see why, you know, how that happens, if in the case of the fertilizer company, of course, they put sensors into the farm, into the land to see how the land is being irrigated, et cetera, et cetera. With a, um, uh, with a with with a guitar company, it's Fender. I can say who it is. Uh, you know, they provided a service that helps you learn how to play the guitar. Because the problem was, people were buying guitars, particularly in phases of their life where you know, they they thought they wanted to be a rock star. Of course, they would go home, and within about two or three months, they felt pretty stupid that there was a three hundred pound guitar getting just dust on it. And and Fender realized that they needed to to do something. Otherwise, that person would never buy another guitar. Teach the person how to play that ACDC back in black song, you'll get another guitar sale and you'll get some ancillary revenue through the through through that. So, you know, what you start to realize is it's not about a, a you know taking the actual product necessarily and putting it on subscription, but it's really the digital relationship that you're creating. You're creating a direct digital relationship and you're monetizing that to 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 the point where eventually, eventually, not immediately, but eventually what does the customer truly understand as the value that they get from that company? It's probably the outcome versus the actual underlying product. That's fascinating. And the Caterpillar example, you're actually um, you're subscribing to to dirt in a way, <laughs> how much dirt you use or how much dirt you exact. That's that's an amazing. So I think there's uh, untapped potential in this space. But I wonder if the next frontier is the subscription subscription. And and hear me out here. My old um, one of my old employers, Optus in Australia, has just launched a service called Subhub, where they aggregate all subscriptions. I, I think they have a wholesale deal with Netflix, and they obviously want to sell their pay TV services. But do you think there will be a time when you have one relation, one master relationships with a company like Optus, and then they go off and aggregate all the services that you like? Is there a market for that, and can your platform support that? Uh, for sure, uh, it's it's a market that we have predicted for 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 many years. I think a couple of things will happen. Um, first of all, I think we will see more regulation uh, from the government and from uh, from institutions because what's happening is so much more of our disposable income is now being consumed by subscription. I mean, I'm as bad as anybody and I live and breathe this, right? But if I went and looked at my bank account today, a huge proportion of my my, my disposable income is going out through, through you know, on, on the first of the month, right? In, in some form of uh, recurring revenue model, some form of subscription. So I think increasingly we will see regulation. And this is why I think we touched on the banks. And I think also, I think the banks have a huge part to play here. Because they are struggling themselves to understand how to uh, reinvent the, inve- the the retail banking market. Um, they don't make any money from from running a retail bank account with you with yourself. So we have seen many banks come to us, and in fact, we just launched uh, one in the UK where we have a a, a well known uh, uh, bank actually doing exactly what you've just described, which is starting to aggregate multiple subscription services. Now, the banks have won. I'm sure, I, I, I'm sure a telco has a, 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 poten- you know, a potential in on this market, but a bank has another very special uh, opportunity. First of all, they see everything you buy, right? That's, that's number one. Number two, they can lend money. And they can take money away. So their ability to help you if you over, say you subscribe to something and you overconsume, there is protection. There, there is a relationship with the government. There's the more opportunity to embrace regulation within a bank, and it becomes a trusted place. You trust your bank to not put a service to you 
that it's you know it's 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 regulation. Sorry, it's uh, terms and conditions don't meet the high standards that maybe eventually would be, would be regulated by by a government. So I think of all, I think I think there was a lot of opportunity for many markets, many industries to to enter into this aggregation of subscri- of subscriptions. But I truly believe the banks have a unique and and possibly a very uh, immediate and urgent need to move into. Uh, in order to justify themselves in a world where they are being uh, subject to a lot of disruptive, new, innovative, uh, you know, bank accounts, whether Revolut or or something of of a similar nature, so they are needed to reinvent, and there's a great opportunity to do that right in this space. Yeah, I remember a few years ago when I was at IBM, I had the fortunate opportunity to talk to the CEO of Nordia Bank, and he said, "So Andrew, tell us what we should be doing in the future." And I said, "Well, even though people necessarily don't have a great relationship with the bank, you're legally required to have a perfect relationship." And I said, "Maybe one day you would run a password service where you would store all my passwords because I trust you." Almost out of time, and we've had a great discussion today, but I want to learn a bit more about you. So I'm going to run you through a quick fire round, and we'll actually understand a bit more behind John the person. iPhone or Android? Definitely iPhone. Window or aisle? Always aisle. Never a window. Online or in the room? I have missed being in the room. I hate online. (laughs) I'm an in-the-room kind of guy. The app you use most on your phone? Email. What's the one thing you won't be doing again post-pandemic? Well, not to contradict what I just said, but going into the office on a Monday. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, truly the best advice was sunscreen. From a work point of view, uh, I had a very good boss who one set, one time told me when I was I was actually doing consulting work, and he said, "When you write a statement of work, being vague does not help you. Be as definitive as you can be, because otherwise the customer is always right. So be as detailed as you can be." What are you reading at the moment? I don't read because I I listen. I subscribe to Audible. Currently listening to something deeply hidden: Quantum Worlds and the Emergence of Space Time by Sean Carroll. Final quickfire question: How do you want to be remembered? Well, not for what I do. I mean, I, I don't, it's not about achievements. I just hope, you know, people will say, yeah, it was fun. It was good working. It was loyal, trustworthy, integrity, all the good things. Now, as this is the Actionable Futurist podcast, what three actionable things can businesses do to change their business model? Start with a basic question. What do your customers really want? Not what you want to give them. Actually, what you really want. And that could be the other two, by the way, is ask them, ask yourself again, what do they really want? Now, the truth is, they might not know. And the reason they might not know was the same reason why, as an on-premise software company, you didn't know what your customer really wanted and Salesforce did. So the second thing is build a digital direct relationship with your customer. Don't worry about how you monetize it initially. Just build it. You will start to understand truly maybe the first question, which is what do your customers really want to do? Then use that channel to listen, to talk, learn about your customer every day. And then finally, you will start to understand how you monetize that relationship. John, how can people find out more about you and your work? We are at, of course, www.zuora.com, Z-U-O-R-A.com. We're on LinkedIn. We're on all the usual places. Uh, lots of content, wonderful content on Zuora.com. We have the Subscribe Strategy Group that publishes a whole host of information. We have the Subscribed Institute where we have thousands of senior executives actually participate. 
Um, and uh, we have the Subscription Economy Index, which is uh, a report that we publish on a frequent basis that shows the performance of subscription companies relative to uh, the, the more traditional companies such as the S&P 500. And you get a huge amount of information uh, about how to build successful uh, subscription businesses. John, a great discussion today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Actionable Futurist podcast. You can find all of our previous shows at actionablefuturist.com. And if you like what you've heard on the show, please consider subscribing via your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can find out more about Andrew and how he helps corporates navigate a disruptive digital world with keynote speeches and C-suite workshops delivered in person or virtually at actionablefuturist.com. Until next time, this has been the Actionable Futurist Podcast.